You are listening to the First Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Joe Cooper and I am the worship leader at Morton First Baptist Church. We are a church that seeks to honor God through both our biblical songs and preaching and in everything that we do as a church. Now join us as we begin our worship service. And listen to this, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. That's the problem. He says, I know all about you. I don't have time to give you compliments here like I've done to some of the previous churches in this book. I'm going to get straight to the point with you. And what I have found is that your deeds are not complete in the sight of my God. What in in the world does that mean? We'll, We'll flesh that out in just a moment. But what you have to understand is this. You can come to church. You can post churchy Christian things on Facebook. You can put a smile on your face and act like you love Jesus or whatever. And you can fool me. I'm easily fooled. But you can't fool Jesus. You can fool other people in the church. You can fool your neighbor. You can fool your co-workers. You can fool the deacons and the Sunday school teachers. But you can't fool Jesus. That's what Jesus is showing here. He says, I know everything about you, and I understand that maybe you're doing some stuff, but it's not what you're supposed to be doing. I understand you have some deeds, but they're not complete. They're kind of halfway, kind of half-hearted. You can fool others, but you can't fool Jesus. Well, what's the issue with Sardis here? Jesus says Sardis has a name, that they are alive. And I want you to think about, if you can think of any churches, just think of churches on television or down the road or or wherever that would fit this description here. That when you think of this church, the first thing you think of is, wow, now there is a church who has some good things going on. There is a church that really has it together and they have good things happening and people are, are happy there. Can you think of any churches like that? Well, Sardis was one like that. When people thought of the church in Sardis, they thought, well, now that's a good group of people there. There are some people who really love Jesus there. And I want you to ask, when you think of a church, when you're able to think of a church that would fit that description, what is going on at a church like that that makes you think that of them? What is it that a church does or does not do, that would make you think, now that church has it together. What is it that they have? Is it because they have a certain program that they have going on? Seriously, think about this. Have you ever stopped to think about the reason that you think certain churches are doing well while others may not be? Maybe you think, well, you know what? They have really good music there. Have a full praise me. They have a saxophone player and a guitar player and keyboards and, and drums and somebody plays a little doohickey like, like this or something. Whatever. Yeah, that, that church really has it going on. Now I can think of you now just bringing it down home here. I was thinking about just our community and I thought in our community there would probably be within a few miles, about five churches or so in our community that appear to be doing well. And I got to thinking, well, what is it that they have in common? 
And they all have one thing in common. They're right by 127. That, that's the thing that, that they all have in common. When you start thinking of other things, you can't really flesh out much else. Now I'm giving you these things to make you think about when you look at a church and say, now that church has it going on, stop and ask yourself, what do I mean by that? What are the things that are going on and happening that cause me to say that? Because this church at Sardis is one of these churches that people look at and say, now that's a good church. They have it going on. Things are going well there. But guess what? Jesus knows their deeds. And he says about them that they have a name, that they're alive. But the fact of the matter is they are dead. I don't remember a lot of the details of it. I do remember kind of what it was about. But there was a, when I was younger, there was a movie called Weekend at Burns. Have you all ever seen that movie? If you raise your hand, I'll pray for you later. But... I don't remember a whole lot that went on in that movie. I just remember the fact that there's this guy named Bernie and there's a couple other guys and they took Bernie all around to all these parties and had him dressed up and everything. But the catch was, was Bernie was actually dead. He was going around to all these different things. He was the life of the party. People liked Bernie, but he was dead. It was just these people propping him up. That, that was the whole movie. Well, we don't want to be a weekend at Bernie's kind of church, do we? We don't want to be like Sardis here that has this outward appearance that, yeah, things are going well. But the fact of the matter is, is there's actually death. I want you to understand, you can appear alive with extracurricular activities, with busyness, with a, a full schedule, with having the people in the church to do so many things that they don't even have time to, to spend with their family as long as they're busy doing something. You can do all these things and fluff it up and appear to be alive. But let me tell you, the only way to really be alive is to be born again. That is it. It's not all the extracurricular stuff. It's not the fluff. It's not the things that, that put a smile on your face because you like the music or the program or, or the leader or whatever. The only way to be alive biblically is to be born again. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says there, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Here's a description of what deadness is. Verse 2 goes on how, how they formerly walked according to the course of the wor world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience and, and, and how you used to indulge in all these things and how your mind was a certain way and how you were by nature a child of wrath. That's what it means to be dead. You can act like you're not that, which is, I think, what we're talking about here today. You can act like there's something more going on, but the fact of the matter is, is you're dead. But then verse 4 of Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite verses in all Scripture because after all that description, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Biblically, you are either dead or alive. And if you're dead, you can put on a good show. 
You can fill up the time and the space with all these other things, but that doesn't make you any more alive than you were before. It's only being born again by the grace of God that you can be considered alive. So the problem is what do we do when Jesus is great but the church isn't? Well, we have to understand what it means to be dead and what it means to be alive. So, so how do we, we fix it? Or what is the solution? How is it that things are worked out here? Well, the solution is found beginning in verse 2. Jesus says here, number one, wake up. Number two, strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Verse three, number three, so remember what you've received and heard. Number four, keep it. Number five, repent. That's what he says to do. If you feel like or if you're under the impression that, that maybe you as a Christian are kind of going through the motions and that you thought for a while you, you were alive, but the fact of the matter is you don't have any life to you. Jesus says to you to wake up, to strengthen, to remember, to keep, and to repent. The issue here is that a church is alive if the people in the church are saved. But if the people in the church are half-hearted and just kind of connecting themselves loosely with the church and, and going through, through the motions and, and just kind of half in and half out, that's a dead church. That's the only difference. It's nothing else. Strip everything else away. Are you alive in Christ or are you going through the motions? It's one of the two. The solution, the first thing he says, is to wake up. That's what he says to Sardis. Wake up. Stop going through the motions. I remember the first church that I pastored, there was a young girl who went there and she read in uh, Romans chapter 13. And in that chapter it talks about how you need to wake up and cause the person a, a sleeper. And how you've been slumbering for some time and now is the time to wake up. And as that girl read that text, she was saved. The Spirit of God fell upon her. She turned from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and she was saved. The same call goes out to us today. Quit going through the motions. Wake up. You've been napping long enough. It's time to get up and get going. I can't wake you up. You can't wake anybody else up. You, you can't even necessarily wake yourself up. That has to be the work of God. But we have to put the call out there to wake up. And if God is speaking to you to do that, uh, stand up and get going. The next thing he says is to strengthen the things that remain. He doesn't say look to the past and see what you have. He doesn't say look to the future and see what you may have later on. He says no, whatever you have, that's what you're working with. Whatever's here, that's what you're going to need to, to work, to strengthen, to make better, to, to, to strengthen and to fortify those things together. So, so here's what we're called to do with this. If you are here today, you are called to be strengthened. The church is here to help strengthen you and, and to point you in the direction of Christ and, and to teach you the Word of God and to show you what He has called us to do. If you're here today, that's the call. If you're not here, we can't do that with you. You have to be willing to, to participate and to be here and to submit yourself under the authority of God's Word and to read and to study and to learn and to grow. That's what our calling is as a church. That's how we make 
disciples. And then he goes on to say, after wake up and strengthen, he says, remember what you have received and heard. What is he talking about there in verse 3? Remember what you have received and heard. and Keep it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel. When all else fails and you've tried everything else in the world to, to put on this, this show and this front that things are great and, and you know come to this church that things are well here, people are, are happy and you get along with people or whatever. No, once all that fails, then you have to understand that the only hope is to just to get back to where you started. Get back to the gospel. Remember what got you here. Remember how you first got going. He says, remember what you have received and heard. That, that echoes the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he talks about the gospel there, how, how he had received it and the Corinthians had received it and they're to stand in it and to recall that same thing here. Remember the gospel, the good news that God is a good God. You have sinned against Him. You have no goodness of your own, but thanks be to God that He sent His Son Jesus who is perfect and sinless not to make you good, but to rescue you in spite of the fact that you're not good. He went to the cross, paid for your sins, was buried, rose again. The third day now calls all people everywhere to repent and believe. That's what we got to get back to, but not just get back to but he goes on to say, don't just remember it, but keep it. Guard it with your life. Refuse to let it go. Refuse to let church be about anything else other than the gospel and the Jesus Christ of the gospel. That is it. That's what we have. That's what we're called to do, to remember that and to keep it and refuse to let anything else come in to the church or into our minds or into our classrooms that would compromise the gospel in any way. And the last thing he commands us to do is to repent, not just remember the gospel, not just keep it, but you need to repent. I want to tell you something today. If you have stopped repenting of your sin, then you have stopped walking with the Lord. We're under this impression that repenting is something we do when we're first saved and then we go live our lives. Yeah, I've already done that. I've already repented. I've already believed. He's talking to a church here. He calls the church to repent. Repentance is daily life for Christians, for you and for me. It's not the fact that we repented and believed one time. It's the fact that today we are called to repent and believe. Tomorrow we are called to repent and believe. It's not the start of the Christian life, but that is the Christian life. As we follow after Jesus, we are daily turning from sin and trusting in Him. I don't know what your heart is this morning. Maybe there's some things that have been hanging on to you. Maybe you have this spirit of apathy that Sardis has. Maybe you're just kind of going through the motions. Well, today's the day for you. You're here today to hear this message. You're called today to turn from that and to start fresh. Walk with Jesus again. That's what He has called you to do.
Don't go through the day saying, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll get around to it, I'm, I'm not that bad. If there's something hanging on to you, turn from that today and follow after Jesus. Remember the gospel, keep it, and repent. That's what we do. But finally today, what are the consequences? One way or the other, good or bad, what are the consequences that follow all of this? Well, the first part we see for those who do not wake up. What is it that lies in store for them? You see in verse 3, I'll just start at the beginning of verse 3 again. He says, so remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent and listen to this. Therefore, if you do not wake up, if you just keep going through the motions and, and you do not wake up, Jesus says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming un unexpectedly, uninvited. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this is talking about His second coming. It, that's the kind of language that refers to when Jesus comes again. Here in this context, it's not necessarily talking about that. Here the stipulation is if you don't wake up, Jesus is coming. If you don't get up and get going, and get going Jesus is coming. You know, the church in Sardis, if you read about them throughout history, that they kind of became a a laughing stock, so to speak, because their city was set up in such a way where when you looked at it, you'd say, now, now that would be a tough city to come in and overtake. That They would have this uh, kind of a fortress up and it would be guarded at different locations and, and it was high up off the ground and it just seemed like on the outside that it was a city that could not be overtaken, could not be overthrown. But twice throughout history they were overtaken and overthrown because there was one part of their city that they thought was so good that nobody would ever uh, be able to come in that way that they didn't even guard it. Well, guess what happened? Not once, but twice. People came in and ambushed the city because of that. And that's kind of like us, isn't it? Sometimes we think, well, you know what? I'm okay. I'm pretty comfortable. Things are going okay in my life right now. But I tell you, when you get to thinking like that, the Bible says that the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you better be ready. You better wake up. You better remember what you've heard. You better keep it. And you better repent. Jesus says, if you don't, I'm coming and you won't know when. There may be some of you here today. Maybe you've known the gospel for a while. Maybe you've repented. You feel like you have, but now you're just stuck in a routine, in a rut, and you're coming to church, and you're going through the motions, and you're kind of doing the churchy thing, but it's just kind of the same thing over and over. Jesus says to you, wake up, get ready, because if you don't, I am coming. Those are the consequences. But, on the other side of that, there's good news. If you look in verse 4, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. 
and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I want you to think about what it says here. It doesn't say you have a bunch of people in Sardis. It doesn't say you have many people in Sardis or multitudes in Sardis. It says you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Matthew 22:14, Jesus says, Many are called, few are chosen. I want to tell you there's a lot of people who want to attach themselves to Christ who are going through the motions. There's just a few people who actually follow Him. Whenever you see crowds of people, what you can rest assured in is the fact that there's probably just a few of them who are actually following after Jesus. That's exactly what it says here. In all this, on the outside, everyone looks at this church and they say, wow, look at them, look what they have, look what they're doing. Jesus says, there's a few of you who are actually following after me. There are a few of you who have not soiled your garments. What you have is this fact that the lost is mixed in with the saved. Kind of like a church. Saved people, people who think they're saved, lost people, and people who don't know they're lost. That's usually what makes up a, a congregation. That's exactly what happened back in Sardis 2,000 years ago. That's what happens today. And it's this mixture of those who, who act like it and those who actually do. But he says there are a few who have not soiled their garments. What do you think of when you hear soiled garments? You, you think of, of the clothes you're wearing and how they're nasty and they're filthy. Maybe like filthy rags. And he says there are a few of you who are not like that. And those of you who are not like that, uh, you see in verse 4, you've not soiled your garments. They will walk with me, not in soiled garments, but in white. For they are worthy. Verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. How do you get from filthy rags to white garments? There's only one road that gets you there, and it's through Jesus Christ. All you have to offer is sin and unrighteousness and filthy rags. And when you turn that in to Jesus by repentance and faith, He takes those and exchanges those for white, beautiful, clean garments of righteousness. So the only description we have here of these people, the ones who are walking with God in white, are the ones who have Jesus Christ. Not that they're good, not that they don't do bad stuff, they just have Jesus. That's the only difference. Jesus and His righteousness. And then the promise is in verse 5, He who overcomes, He who conquers, will thus be clothed in white, and I will not erase His name from the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. When you first read that, you say, well, look at this right here. You can have your name in the book of life and then get it erased, get it blotted out. If you look at it again, that's not what it says. Now, as Jesus says, he who overcomes, I'm not going to erase his name out of the book. It's in there and it's in there to stay. You can have absolute assurance that if you have those white garments from the righteousness of Jesus, you're not going anywhere. But you've got to have him first. 
And then Jesus says at the end of verse 5, And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And that's probably what it all comes back to. Here are these people who, who have this outward appearance of following after Jesus, but when it comes down to it, they, they don't really confess him before men. Jesus says, the one that's following after me, I will confess his name. I asked Leah if I could share this before I did. But many of you all know how much she has loved doing karate this past year. And she's been in two tournaments and with the sparring. And she has won both of those. Got first place in, in, uh, in sparring. Has done really well and was moving through it very well. And, and just absolutely loved it. Until one day, a couple weeks ago, she finds out, Leah, if you're going to go on get the next belt, you're going to have to do a move called bowing to Buddha, is what they tell her. And she wouldn't do it. And we talked with the teacher, and the teacher said she was a Christian, and it's not that big of a deal. You know, you just go ahead and do it. It's not really bowing to Buddha. Uh, you know, and the teacher said, I'm a Christian. We don't really bow down to anyone. This move is just called that. and We kind of have to do it pretty much if you're going to keep doing it and get your next belt, you're going to do it. And she would. And something that she loved very much, she walked away from him because she said she's not bowing down to anyone else other than Jesus. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. There's a lot of people like the teacher and others who say they're Christians and maybe, but when it comes down to it, you can compromise a little bit. It's okay. You just kind of do what you got to do. If you got to put Jesus to the back burner, that's fine. But let me tell you what Jesus has called us and the church at Sardis to do. He says, listen, you stand for me. You wake up. You quit going through the motions. You live your life out. If not, I am coming. You confess me before men no matter what. And when you do, I'm going to confess you before my Father. That is the promise. So what are we called to do today, church? Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't know how God has spoken to you today. What I do know is we're called to wake up, to remember the gospel, to keep it, repent, and the life or death of a church isn't found in the extracurricular stuff. It's found in are you holding on to the gospel. And let me tell you something, church, if we have ten people in here, and you love Jesus, and you're holding on to the gospel. We are alive more than the church of 10,000 that just has a bunch of club and forgets the gospel. That's the difference. Is moral first back to the church that is alive? I think it is.